LinkedIn has the power to target very specific roles inside very specific companies. So the idea here is to put ads in front of the very specific and narrow down ICP and only that ICP. Welcome to Double Your ARR, a podcast for software and agency providers that serve Shopify brands. Learn the tactics that some of the best are implementing today to help you grow your business by providing better customer experiences. All right, welcome back to another episode. I'm here with our special guest today, Soma. Soma, let's get into it. Give everyone your uh, your quick intro. If everyone doesn't already know who you are, they should. So who are you? What do you do? <laughs> it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. I'm Soma. I was a founder of Five Different e-commerce brands back in the early 2010s, scaled, built, managed five different e-commerce brands, mostly sold goods in middle Europe and the surrounding countries. And about five years later in 2015, 2016, I turned some of my pains as an e-commerce operator, growing my businesses into a software that is called Recart. Initially, we've been solving cart abandonment for Shopify and e-commerce stores. We tapped into messenger marketing. We became the first app to ever ship on e-commerce automation for Facebook Messenger. And today we are one of the leading SMS marketing apps as well. We help merchants grow a lot more efficiently than they can do with ads and other channels. Yeah. Cool. All right. So context before we get into some of your genius tactics and looking ahead to the year, what's your ICP, your niche, ARPU, sales motion, anything that you feel comfortable sharing? And uh, yeah, ICP Absolutely. ideal. It's a very interesting topic because our ICP has changed over time. And I will tell you more about this, but our current ICP is Shopify merchant who makes somewhere between five to $100 million dollars in annual GMV and seeks highly efficient SMS marketing. And you might think that this is already too narrow, but this is what we found success with in the past few months, especially past six months, to narrow down the ICP to a very, very narrow niche, serve them better than anyone else could, have an above 80% probability to win the deals compared to competitors and expand the ICP from there. So this is what we saw great success with. If you don't know Soma, Soma is probably one of the smartest people I've met in terms of data-driven business analysis. I won't share all the everything that you've done data-wise, but so if Soma's sharing a number or a percentage chances are it's been highly tested and highly uh, qualified. So going back to your point about ICP, so Shopify 5 to 100, and they are looking for a highly efficient SMS channel. If you were to take a cohort of 1,000 Shopify brands in that 5 to 100, what percentage would fall into SMS marketers? So is there a large percentage that don't have a big focus today on oh, SMS Oh, absolutely. Still? So you would think that SMS as a channel as already very mature. 
because there are big players out there. The adoption seems very, very high, but it is actually not. Only 15% of the top 150,000 Shopify stores use any SMS apps out there. As you move to the top Shopify stores, the top few K, the top 1K uses SMS the most. They use uh, 65% of them does SMS. The top 5K is around 50%, the top 10K is around 35% and so on. So it is very biased towards the top Shopify stores. However, who is really doing SMS? How you define doing SMS? Because the number I shared is just merely based on if they have any SMS applications installed. Yeah, yeah. Because you're doing scraping, web scraping, or... But I think the learning lesson there is your, you use bias, I was going to use the same term. You might think the product you sell or, or whatever it is that you own and are promoting, you might think, well, everyone already knows that I should be doing email or SMS or GA4, or whatever it might be. But chances are, even if it is, in my mind, I would think 80% of brands are using SMS, but chances are you are in your own bubble. So it is very likely, highly probable that there's a huge market that's not doing and not utilizing what you are offering. So I think that's a interesting. No, absolutely. I wanted to say that it is almost certain that you are in a bubble. And this is one yeah, of our yeah. big <laughs> learnings from 2022 to challenge ourselves, challenge our tools and challenge our previous learnings because yeah. every market, but it's very common in the commerce space that we handle previous learnings as universal truth. And I can give you a very relevant example here. So there are pop-ups and certain tools that e-commerce merchants use to collect email and SMS subscribers. These pop-ups yeah. usually come as in two or three different forms. They're very, very similar in each store because they follow so-called best practices. And yeah. we did uh, a very interesting analysis of tens of millions of impressions on those best practice pop-ups. And what we saw in the past three years, that the best practice, probably not, a, not the best practice anymore. As frequency yeah. grows, as time passes by, the efficiency of these tools are going down. And it might have mm -hmm. been one of the best things to do three years ago, but it is not and highly likely. Yeah. If you do the same thing for years, probably two years or more, there is a very high chance that you can do significantly better than that today. Yeah. So challenge your beliefs in your product, your own product. So a decision you made a year or two years ago likely may not be the same today. So I think that's a, that's a great insight. Let's get into your sales motion. You were Shopify famous, I'll say it. I don't know, 2015, 16, 17, where I think you rose to the, to the top of the app store. You were very public in sharing, I think, your growth or just the, the story of Recart. I would imagine a lot has changed since then, but what is your sales motion today and, and any, uh, any specific learning lessons that you'd leverage or fall back on based on those yes. early years? So we had basically two major growth curves. One was from 2017, 2018, when between 2017 and 2019, we grew from zero to 200,000 installs, mostly from the Shopify app store 
using almost zero dollars spent on marketing. We didn't have a marketing team. We had like one, two persons usually working on content, articles. We were not even thinking about SEO at all. So very, very light marketing. So the way how we did this without heavy capital deployed was simply shipping something that people want. I know it's the cliche, it's the... PLG before exactly. it was the hot I'm term. more like a product guy. This is what I consider the zone of genius for myself. And then comes the marketer inside me. We always think yeah. from the product perspective. What can we help yeah. to brands? I think this love of product perspective comes from me being a merchant myself and seeing mm -hmm. what tools I couldn't have. Especially it was yeah. very interesting for me because I was running e-commerce stores in 2012, 2013, when Shopify was not great, especially not great for European businesses. So I had mm -hmm. to work with WooCommerce, which was, and still is open sourced, but has, you know, several issues, several things that you need to work really hard on. So I've always thought about bringing something to the market that is either resolving a pressing issue or offers an arbitrage. So yeah. they have huge incentive to start using your tool. Can you explain that for everyone? So what would be an example of that Absolutely. arbitrage? So the arbitrage example is you can continuously scan the market and see where the platform, the channel, or the market shifts are. Predict if something is a good opportunity and attack that opportunity. So translating mm -hmm. it to our motion, in 2017, Ricard was recovering abandoned cards via email and push notification. The same year, Messenger opened up their APIs and they came out and said, hey, developers, come on the platform and let's build the future's largest business-to-consumer communication channel, right? And mm -hmm. although this vision ultimately did not materialize the way that Facebook intended to do so. With Facebook Messenger, Facebook Messenger specifically. specifically, yes. It was yeah. a market shift, right? The big company decided to open up their APIs on their messaging platform, allowing businesses to communicate to their customers. And mm -hmm. once we took on that opportunity and shipped the very first, and oftentimes when you look into these, they're not straightforward. So when we started this, marketing through Facebook Messenger was not allowed. It was explicitly mm -hmm. prohibited by Facebook. So we were basically gaming the rules, bending the rules a little bit in order to make it work and then prove the worth of messaging towards the Facebook Messenger team. And then, you know, several months later, officially having the impact to relax on those rules. So oftentimes yeah. you have to go through walls. But what I'm trying to say here is this is a market shift that brought basically highly efficient and free messaging for businesses, here e-commerce businesses. And there were other startups who were building on top of this, but they were more like market 
agnostic and they served mm-hmm. uh, very different uh, niches at the same time. And we decided to focus on this on e-commerce and bring whatever is useful in Facebook Messenger for a typical Shopify brand, automations, campaigns, whatnot. So what happened is that we created a massive gravitational pull towards ourselves because our platform allowed Shopify brands to send messages on Facebook Messenger for completely free at 90% over rates and at 30% click rates. So that's that the arbitrage, arbitrage then, right? That was the Facebook opened it up. You chose to go the route of being Facebook Messenger for Shopify instead of Facebook Messenger for e-commerce and service businesses and auto care and et cetera. You went, you niched down. You mentioned you're you're going to pull it back to today's motion and how that's changed a little bit. So where are you today in your sales motion? And then maybe if you can touch on just size of the business as much as you want, team, et cetera, as much as you want to share. Because I think that'll be important when people listen to your Absolutely. sales motion. One and, of the big learnings yeah. of this rapid growth to 200K installs the Shopify store is that we could not control it. Basically what we did, we reverse engineered how the Shopify app store ranks apps. We did the things that it needed to be done in order to rank higher. And it's not a big secret. Back in the days, it was very easy and very simple. The more reviews you got, the higher you ranked. So we had to find ways to ask for reviews from our happy customers. And that way we could be on top, on the homepage of the Shopify app store for months. But this led to undirected growth. It meant that whoever went on the homepage of the Shopify app store saw our cards, became interested, clicked on the banner and installed us. And Shopify's logos are very heavily leaning towards the small merchants. So if you take a look at the number of merchants in the Shopify ecosystem, only 10% or even lower make more than $1 million annually. So we did not have a grasp on the direction where we were going. So we've been flooded by thousands of new installs every single month for basically dropshippers, people who just started out. Exactly. They weren't your ICP. Yeah, they weren't your ICP, so it creates noise. We didn't noise. have an ICP. That's my point. We didn't okay. know that this is bad, right? We were just happy yeah. to receive so many installs every day and we thought that this is so cool which can hurt your support which can hurt you know sales onboarding churn reviews everything right and that's a big thing with plg today which you hear more of maybe not as much in 2017 2018 but is being very careful if you're going to go that way be cognizant of those risks of if you open the floodgates inherently is going to create more activity in your sales support cs channels and it hurts your product exactly what you said but it also mm-hmm. has a big risk towards your product because the feedback you're going to listen to is going to come from merchants that are too small, not sustainable. And don't get me wrong, you can decide to serve the smallest stores in the Shopify ecosystem or any ecosystem, but it has to be a conscious decision and you have to know the unit economics behind that. That's a Mm -hmm. must have to clarify your ICP because otherwise 
you will basically sitting in a bus, completely blacked out, having no idea where the bus is going. It's going, you know, you feel it. It's very cool and it's fast. Wow, you, you're happy. But yeah. at the same time, you have no idea what the destination is. So fast forward yeah. to today, yeah. we learned things the hard way. We learned what types of merchants based on the data we saw perform well, able to pay us more or happily works with us. And we started distilling and just moving up and up and up markets every single month by a little. And today, I think we have a healthy mix of sales motion. So our new leads and deals and customers are coming in from a mixture of inbound partnerships, marketing, outbound, and referrals. The last two outbound and referrals are fairly rudimentary at Recard at this point. So um, I hope to get it, you know, more mature in Q1, Q2 this year. But ultimately we focus on three, four different channels at the same time. So I think the obvious question, what anyone would ask me, right? How would you replicate that growth from zero to 20K? And yeah. like first I would go back and, you know, work on the product and make sure that it solves a pressing problem. It has to be very, very painful or it's an yeah. arbitrage and something you can give for free or something you can do much, much better than they can do right now. It has mm -hmm. to be done. Unless you do that, you have a very, very tough job acquiring and retaining your customers. Everything becomes exponentially mm -hmm. easier when your product is truly good. How do you measure? How would you evaluate if you were to say, our product is great, Brad, how's your product? How would you go through and measure very that? Very good question. I've been thinking about this so much, but what I came to as my own conclusion is if you have these in place or one of these in place, you have a basic traction. Even if you don't do anything, just put your stuff on the app store, create a few articles, you sit and wait and you keep getting installs. You keep getting questions, you keep getting leads. It doesn't have to be too much, but it has to be so good or so interesting. People are talking about it to each other. And there's some kind of word of mouth. And don't think of something crazy. It doesn't have to be thousands of leads every single month. But if it's not spreading on its own, it's probably not strong enough in any of these two groups. Yeah, because today there is such a huge reliance on that quote-unquote dark social conversations where you're in private Slack groups or Facebook groups or whatever it might be, text groups, WhatsApp groups, where you're asking like, hey, what are you using? What tools you're using? Um, you and I both see all these Twitter threads where it's people, <laughs> this is more merchants, but merchants talking about their stacks or that they're using. But so is that part of it? It's just because there's so much reliance today on what are you using to solve this problem X, Y, and Z versus maybe in the past people were more heavily reliant on we Google have search. a marketing fatigue everywhere in this world. And you will always trust a trustworthy name on the market or your friend's worth over the Google search or the ads you're seeing. 
So I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm not saying that you don't need to focus on SEO or you don't need to run ads to grow. But first things first, you have to get some leads from word of mouth. If you don't, you're not strong enough in one of these categories. Yeah. Which you can capture. So if you are not doing that today, if you're listening, you can just add a, how did you hear about us? Open free field form in the signup flow and the post-purchase flow. We do it at LFR. It's required. It's amazing to see all the information we've been getting the last couple of years, how much are coming through communities and Twitter or, you know, Nick Sharma's newsletter, whoever it may be, but it's just, you, you see all these different, a lot of the dark social conversations. So if you, if you are not asking that in your product today, I would highly recommend it. Or if you are sales led, we also included on our demo booking form, it's required. And that just helps us answer some of those questions and validate, are, are we getting some of those word of mouth referrals? Any metrics? So like gross retention has been a big metric in the last year with the macroeconomic changes versus net revenue retention. So are are there any key metrics that you'd look at to say, put that stamp on, we have quote unquote product market fit, or we have a good product. How would you quantify outside of just that qualitative data and word of mouth referrals? In both sides here, Record once had terrible retention rates and Record today has excellent retention rates. I can tell you like both perspectives. Today, having a lower than probably 70% annual retention, logo retention rate is not acceptable. I don't think it is. I don't think that you can build a good business if you don't have at least 70%, but more like 80s, low hundreds. When most of our clients were small businesses, our annual retention rate was around 55%. Logo or revenue? Logo, okay. So- Logo churn, just customers, just are they customers, binary revenue is if the plan, if they're paying $50, if they downgrade to 30, that's $20 downgrade. If they go to zero, that's a $50 cancellation churn. If they go up to 70, that's a $20 upgrade. And all of that plays into net revenue retention. Just wanted to clarify in case people are wondering what some of this jargon soup might be with these yes, different metrics. Yes, you're absolutely correct. This is how net retention works. And one of the biggest mistakes I've made earlier in the record days was not implementing a pricing that allows the company to grow as we provide more value. I think we did something very, very good. We aligned our pricing in the early days completely with the merchant's interests, which what we did, we charged a small percentage of the revenue we generated. Because you're sending the emails, you're sending the push notifications or Facebook Messenger, people click and buy so that you're, you know exactly if someone is buying through your service and then taking exactly. that percentage. It was a very popular business model for the small businesses. And we thought that, all right, we are done. This is the perfect pricing. Because everyone was charging for you know the list size or the amount of messages you send us, we only charged after pure performance. So one thing was we noticed is the merchants now became interested in reducing the amount of attributable revenue as much as possible. So so that led to crazy little games in the product. And that also discouraged them 
from doing actually a lot, lot better. The second thing was that larger merchants, let's say above $1 million in annual GMV, hated it. They wanted, mm -hmm. you know, more predictable, a more, an easier solution to understand because they never knew what's going to be their end, end revenue yeah. at the end of the month. So we limited ourselves and it, it was a roller coaster, of course. Q4 was always amazing and Q1 was, you know. Revenue was roller coaster. So your MRR would go up and down depending on seasonality. Exactly. That, that makes sense. At alone, this, this is not a huge problem. But mixed together, low retention, and roller coaster revenues, limiting yourself from the up market because the large merchants hate your pricing, combined together is recipe for disaster. So yeah. we've been low retention, low ARPU. I think our ARPU was $50-ish back in the days. Today, mm -hmm. the average version pays several thousand dollars for Recart every single month because it drives such high ROI from the SMS channel that it's basically the business's best interest to send more and more until ROI starts dropping. Yeah. So optimizing Absolutely. pricing. So I mean, that's Always a 50X. have a room. Of course, 50X, but at the same time, it's potentially not possible to sell to the largest merchants in the first few months, right? Because your product is quite rudimentary or it has to become a platform. We invested in the product so much. We have almost 30 engineers working on the product for several years now. So it's a big, big investment in product to unlock the higher yeah. end tiers of Shopify for ourselves. But I think what I'm trying to say regarding pricing is more like you should always have room to expand. You should always have room to expand in your pricing instead of having mm -hmm. a flat fee or having something that's never going to grow. Yeah. And Kyle from OpenView Labs, I think he has a newsletter and they share a ton of data on PLG. And one thing that they've even started pushing out more content and research on is around pricing optimization for SaaS and how... They're anticipating more, more and more happening this year with companies that are PLG that are doing re plan resets. So it's like Notion getting rid of their lowest price plan or doubling the price or lowest price plan, whatever it might be. I think there's a lot, a lot of room in pricing optimization. And obviously, Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell has a, a ton of research out there. So while we have time remaining, I know you have a hard stop in a little bit. Let's get into some tactics and what you anticipate in the next one to two years. What are tactics that you feel? you'll be investing in inside of Recart. And then we'll uh, piggyback that with our, what are some other tactics or growth ideas that you've seen others execute on that you uh, might be envious of or, or try to figure out how you can work that into your 2023 plan. So let's start with, what are you guys planning on doing I think we finally found a, an ICP, a very narrow ICP that we can serve better than our competitors can. So I think our job from here is to put the message out there, make sure that they know about us. We know if they hear about us. Easier said than done. Exactly. <laughs> I know it's, it's very weak. So let's get into some details. So we are analyzing where these people hang out. We're talking to yeah. them. We're asking them which newsletters they read, which podcasts they listen to, which blogs they are subscribed to, etc. We're trying to find common denominators trying to find common themes in their habits 
and we're trying to inject content into their daily lives. We plan mm -hmm. to go fairly big on LinkedIn in both organic and paid. Organic, yep. we want to create the most useful content possible. Again, we are in a good position because the SMS marketing is not really major market. And although people think they know SMS, they actually, most of them don't. And when we talk mm -hmm. about SMS, they are very interested because they are not familiar to basic concepts that there are out there. So we keep talking about how to do SMS better. There is an arbitrage opportunity here because mm -hmm. SMS is just like Facebook Messenger is a very, very efficient platform channel. And it is yeah. also very expensive. So if you do like most merchants out there and you copy your email strategy into SMS, today it's not going to work because inefficiency is not tolerated anymore. It was tolerated in the past two years, right? No one really care if your ROI is very low from SMS, but today they do. So we feel this as one of the main drivers going into content strategy in 2023. Education-based exactly. content. But again, towards a pain point, which is my SMS yeah. is very expensive or my customer yeah. acquisition costs are too high. This is what we are yeah. getting into. And on the yeah. paid side on LinkedIn, based on data, if you use tools like uh, Store Leads or Charm.io, you can get the list of the Shopify stores based on the parameters. You can filter down, down all the way down to your ICP. Based on that, you can run those domains through different services to get their company LinkedIn page. We use like several of them. Um, I think we can include them in the description. Fairly too happy to share with uh, with you guys. Uh, you get the LinkedIn URLs, the company URLs from the LinkedIn company URLs. You use scrapers to get the employee LinkedIn URLs. Based on that, you filter for positions. We are selling to marketing leaders, CEOs, yeah. and marketing managers, and we target only them on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has the power, basically, to target very specific roles inside very specific companies. So the idea here is to put ads in front of the very specific and narrow down ICP and only that ICP. Yeah. You said your genius was product, but you have a marketing uh, genius uh, in your blood as well. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. I'm nowhere level. close to the gorgeous guys, to be honest. And I have to give massive credit to Roman, yeah. the CEO of Gorgeous and Excel, uh, who's running operations and growth operations at Gorgeous. Yeah. A lot of things that we do, we learned from the Gorgeous team. I highly recommend Roman has yeah. a video on YouTube, which is called How to Close Your First Thousand Customers Based Solely on Data. This is basically the masterclass for getting data work in your favor in the Shopify ecosystem. So I highly recommend that YouTube video. There'll be a link in the show notes for everyone that wants to watch that. <clears throat> I really like the way they've shared their playbooks over time. I mean, some of them might be a little bit later than others, but they've been pretty open about sharing playbooks to help the ecosystem. So education-based content, pushing the pain, 
going next level on LinkedIn targeting. What are some strategies that you're seeing out there that they maybe entice you or they they have that shiny object syndrome, but you might not be pursuing? So is there anything else that you just look at the market and say, man, I, I want to do that. I just need to figure out I who see and how. that some of the companies in the ecosystem was able to create content that people want to read, by the way, including you guys at LIWAR, mm-hmm. did an amazing job mm-hmm. at the newsletter. And I constantly hear that people are waiting for that email to be read. I think that is <laughs> the ultimate win in content yeah. when your audience says, I can't wait to read your next issue. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure because we got one going out today. <laughs> and for everyone might be wondering, what the heck, what are you talking about? We, we do a strategy of the week email. We've been doing it for a couple of years. It's uh, almost literally doesn't talk anything about our product per se. It's what are people going to be doing three minutes after Elevar or three to five minutes after Elevar? And we focus on giving strategies, tips, ideas, learning lessons, data, et cetera, that they can then run with. So again, it's it falls in line with what you're saying is education-based content, uh, maybe a little bit of that, not thought leadership either, but it's tactical leadership or just giving real, real Absolutely. examples. So you're, you're mentioning content. Any other just wild ideas there are tactics that you haven't tried and you likely won't try, but you wish somebody would to prove it out and I see mean, if it works? Everyone, I guess most of us in the ecosystem wants to crack partnerships. And yeah. you can do very fancy things in partnerships. You can throw yeah. very fancy, very cool parties. Well, if you can combine the very cool parties and webinars with stars from the ecosystem with very high ROI on your business, I mean, that must be such a huge fun, to be honest, to participate Mm -hmm. in. So I don't think we're going to go insanely deep in that rabbit hole this year. It's kind of like the roadshow, roadshow events, local meetups, events, things We're like that. We're most likely going to keep our efforts to small events where, you know, meaningful conversations can happen. So dinners yeah. and meetups all the way to 20 people. But yeah. I find it very cool when, you know, Gorgeous organizes a massive conference or a webinar where they invite the president of Shopify. So I think that carries a lot of value. But it's also hard to crack and it's also capital heavy at the same time. Yeah. A good book for those that want to do their own uh, own hosting parties, the two-hour cocktail party, I think it, it is. I, I read that over the holiday break. It's a super fast read. Interesting way to, to structure events and little mini get-togethers with new people. So I know you got to run, so I want to be respectful for your time. Uh, we'll have a bunch of comments and then show notes here. There's one takeaway Listen to Soma's overview on the LinkedIn on that, the way he's thinking about data and targeting and using that pain-based education. And you've obviously we're follow each other on LinkedIn and the content you've been putting out. It's helpful. And I think it's closed some big deals for you. And it just shows that taking a little bit of extra time to create thoughtful content that is pushing pain, but also educating at the same time. It's just a great way. And if you're a founder, leader in the company, down to uh, someone that's a week old that just started at the company, everyone has the the power to really uh, use their own voice and own profile to help sell and build the company. So Soma, anything else? How can people get in touch with you? 
anyone wants to get in touch with your par- any partnership or any other opportunities or pick your brain about what you shared today. Folks, hit me up on LinkedIn. Happy to help. I received a ton of help when I started out in the ecosystem. I talk a lot to Gorgeous, Yapo, SMS Bump, other companies, and it's a small ecosystem. We are here playing the long-term game with long-term people. So feel free to hit me up and I will try to be as useful as possible. Alrighty, I'll have links to all those in the show notes. Thanks, Soma. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening today. And can you do me a quick favor if you found this helpful? Please share this podcast in your own circle with anyone else that you feel like will get value from this. My commitment is to continue bringing on amazing guests, sharing their secret sauce for you and others. But obviously, we need the audience to keep this going. If you have any feedback, guests, if you want to be a guest or you have other people you think should be guests, hit me up on LinkedIn, Brad Redding, or on Twitter. I am Brad Redding. That's my handle. And uh, I'll hear from you. Thanks and see you on the next episode.